This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. So excited to constantly uh, be driving great content to help the professionalism of our industry as the Gold Standard Podcast. And uh, speaking of professionalism, that's what we're talking about today. What is professionalism? Uh, how do we professionalize our industry? It's the things that we do each and every day for our people and our customers. Let me introduce my panel to you, my good friend, Judy Walter, Judy Zimmerman Walter from Zimmerman's Automotive Tire Pros in Mechanicsburg, PA. Judy. Hi, Carm. Hey, how you doing? Auto repair shop, used cars, quick lube, great family business since 1958. The 2016 woman in auto care shop owner of the year. That was just a few years ago. She's done episodes with me on family succession, managing family business dynamics, core values, drug testing in the new age of legalized cannabis. You remember that we were talking about, hmm, let me see, does your state legalize it? So what do we do? What do we do now? Jim Masella's here. Masella's Auto Repair, Venice, Florida. Venice, Florida. Hi, Carm. Hey, Jim. 30-year industry veteran. Opened the shop in 1991, just a few years ago, Jim. And Renee Oswald is here from Oswald's Service, Idaho Falls and Rexburg, Idaho, two stores. Renee was with us on Town Hall Academy episode 324. We're at 340 now. So it was, you know, in the neighborhood of maybe 18 weeks ago. And we did Why Dressing Professionally Matters in Your Shop and beyond into the public. So thank you for that. And it's not like we're repeating this at all, but maybe we are because in my opinion, being professional and taking ourselves up a notch or two is so, so critical for not only the image of the service aftermarket, but for hiring great people and inserting ourselves as an upstanding member of our community. Hey, before we go much further, high fives to our great partners. You know, don't waste your text time while you start an RO from scratch. Dispatch faster so they get on with the repair. With Shopware's exclusive software exclusive expediter, your staff saves time, works more accurately, and speeds up service. On the web at getshopware.com. And did you clean the fuel tank the last time you replaced a fuel pump? Well, contamination buildup in the tank not only impacts the vehicle's performance, but it can also damage the fuel pump. Clean the fuel tank in five minutes with Delphi Technologies' fuel tank cleaning tool. Learn more at DelphiAftermarket.com. Okay, guys, look, at here's what I want to cover. And the positivity here is that your culture is your professionalism. Remember that. You got to set the example of professionalism in your business with the way you talk, the way you dress, the way you smile, the empathy that you have, the attitude, image, and appearance. And my good friend Leon Martin says, Carm, it's all about soap, paint, and light. And that brings a lot of professionalism to you. It's your behavior, it's the language and all that stuff. And so we're going to jump in this. Renee, perfect start here. Your culture is your brand. And I know you believe in that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I think, you know, so many of us are talking in the industry about what is our brand and, you know, maybe we think it's a logo or whatever. But here's the thing, you know, we're concerned about retaining great technicians, good employees, and our culture is our brand, what we're sending out there is exactly the way that we're living every single day. And it's whether we're living it or not, not just saying it, not just putting our mission statement or whatever on the wall, but actually living it. And I really think as we're talking about professionalism, this is a huge thing. And in the market, I'm not sure that we are doing well enough in promoting 
what that culture is. When we have this healthy culture of professionalism and the way that we present ourselves and getting it out there, because you know the techs that are coming up, the employees that are going to be working for us, they want to work for a professional organization. You know, no offense to the industry, we've been in it since 1939. We're third generation owners, but there are no grease monkeys anymore. You know, you guys, you. You're super trained, intelligent, fantastic individuals who deserve to be treated like professionals. And I don't know that we have done a great job in the industry in making sure that we're really showcasing that even to our public. Maybe we should change the title of this. You know, the big not sign, no grease monkeys here. And, you know, how do we morph grease monkeys into professional automotive technicians, service advisors, owners, parts specialists? I mean, it's amazing how. You can speak about our profession and still I think there's a negative weight to the professionalism that we have, which is why I think, first of all, you are on this show with me and why we have covered it a lot in the last couple of years, because that to me is a difference maker. Judy, you have this beautiful place. Great image, great brand, great logo, great community. And the business has been around since 58. I I think your daughter, who's with you, is third generation. Am I right? You don't get there if you didn't have the professionalism. Give us one a great pointer as to why you guys continue to work so hard at being professional. Well, one of the things is part of a brand and part of who we are is what we believe in. We believe in being a service to people. We believe in being kind even when it's not the easiest thing. And I just threw a speaker recently and he said, if you believe it, you will live it. And that just hit me really hard because, okay, so that's what we believe is we live the way we believe. And so sometimes it's hard to get an employee to see it that way. They don't quite go the same way that you're going or want to follow the same values. And they usually don't make it if that's the case, because if you've got one bad apple in the barrel, you It just doesn't work. We've been doing it for a lot of years. We're a service to our community in more ways than one. I'm sorry, guys. I can't get over that. Believe it, you will live it. And that's pretty damn powerful. And if the culture of your place is loose and you don't look professional in any way, that means that you don't believe in the professionalism or the profession that you're actually in. And maybe if you say it's no longer a hobby, it's a, it's a business that I committed to be in and I got to start running it like a business. If you believe that, you start living it and then you start attracting the right people. But I have this wild idea that just hit me as I was walking to the studio coming down here, just thinking about the episode and the research that I've done. And I've talked about this in the past about the good old gallon of paint thing. You'll hear my story. If you listen to the podcast, you know what this gallon of paint thing is all about. Put the gallon of paint, go stand on the outside, look at the curb appeal of the business with the gallon of paint. Don't tell anybody what the gallon is, but let the person that you want to, you know, get impressed upon image, let them hold that gallon. What's that? About eight pounds, right? So instead of doing the outside walkthrough, the next time you have a meeting, buy a gallon of white paint and put it in the center of the table in the room and don't say a thing about it and use that as the metaphor for, you know, soap, paint and light. Let the gallon of white paint be an image builder and a cultural change and a professionalism leap for your business. To back up what Judy said, our whole business also has been built on customer service. So from day one, from 1991, 
I have always been more concerned about taking care of my customer in the right way, putting myself in the customer's shoes and seeing what does it look like bringing my car into my own shop and not worrying about the bottom line. And in doing so, I have built a customer base and it was all about building my customer base and not about making money. And I always believe that if I built a customer base and always took care of the customer in the best possible fashion, that they would come back. And if they come back, then the bottom line is going to be there. And as a result, I've done very little marketing over the last 30 years. I've had to do very little marketing. My marketing budget is less than 1% of my gross sales as a result. It's huge on the opposite way because we just did an episode on marketing. Uh, I don't think it's aired yet where they're talking five to 8% of sales. Well, in growth, if you want to grow a business, obviously you have to go more. But marketing was always my weakest point that I had. Of course, by natural ability, you, you don't do marketing if you don't like marketing. We tend to do the things we like to do. We tend to do the things we're good at. You know, so I never did a lot of marketing, but I was real good at customer service. So it kind of made up for it a little bit. The other thing about marketing is just I learned from one of my coaches that uh, you either have a really nice location with a lot of visibility and you do little marketing. Or if you're off the beaten path, you have to do a lot of marketing to bring people in. So he said between the two of them, you would spend 11 or 12 percent between the two of them. So you might spend 6 or 7% on your location and have good visibility and only need to spend 3% on marketing or you might spend 7 or 8% on marketing but only spend 3 or 4% on your location and between the two of them they need to equal a certain amount but uh if you want to get into some of the things that we had talked about earlier about a tire tires important to me the dress code in my business i've had Service advisors come to me and say, gosh, boss, you know, we live in Florida. We'd like to wear shorts. Can we wear shorts? I said, no, we can't. I said, if you go across the street to the Toyota dealer or you go to the Lexus dealer or Mercedes or BMW and you see any of those service advisors, you will not find them in shorts. You will not find them with a ball cap on backwards on the front counter. You will rarely see them with a lot of piercings, a lip ring or a nose ring. And, you know, and I hate to get into that kind of stuff today because I don't want to get myself into trouble, but we have requirements to work for us. You have to look the part. You have to dress the part. You have to play the part. If you don't come across as being professional, you have two strikes against you when that customer walks up to you right out of the gate. If you go to a conference or a seminar or go to your church, if the preacher is dressed in a raggy old t-shirt, regardless of that preacher's credentials, you're going to have a lack of respect, a certain amount of lack of respect. And you're going to start putting question marks after everything he says. What is society saying about when you come in and you see the unkept, the baseball cap differently? Listen, I have a beard, but it's kept. Some beards aren't. And then it goes into the jewelry. You know, in fact, I'm okay with tattoos. Some people cover them up or whatever. Society has changed so much. Do we as customers, you know, maybe the perspective is, is when you go to Starbucks or say a local fast food or even a restaurant and someone has, is demonstrating personal choice when it comes to these things you just talked about, do you consider the place you're at 
unprofessional? I consider the place I'm at there conforming more to society. Down here in Florida, most of my customers are probably over 65, 70 years of age. So they're more of an old school type person. So they look at that in a different light than you might look at it in New York City or Chicago or Washington or somewhere else. So it's a little bit different situation where I'm at. Renee, for you guys in Idaho, I would imagine that the consumer looks at your level of professionalism completely different than they would here in New York. We're a bit conservative. That is absolutely true. And my husband is very, it's been hard for him to wrap his mind around employee individuals who have tattoos or who have piercings or that kind of thing. He's lightened up a little bit. And I think where we have been able to be really clear about this is to make sure that in our employee manual, we have a dress code. And I think that in a lot of organizations outside even this industry, it's more important to be liked than to say anything that might hurt somebody's feelings. And so we're worried about putting things in policy manuals and, you know, in our employee handbooks that might give some direction, but it's actually very kind. You know, if you're coming to work for us, this is what our expectations are. There's no judgment here. It's just that this is how we look. And my husband was trained. He worked for a tire store before he joined the family business that's in the Northwest. Many of you probably heard of Les Schwab. They were very much like these guys wear white shirts. They're dealing with tires and oil and all sorts of stuff. So it was drilled into him in the very beginning about this really professional looking attire And to the point where they're wearing white shirts, you know, you change your shirt if it got all messed up. And it might be a little extreme. We're not wearing white shirts and ties out here in Idaho, if that's the message that I'm sending, because that's not happening. But we have had to be pretty clear about what our dress code is and be brave enough to say, you got to take the nose piercing out when you're working here, because this is what we do. Hey, aren't you tired of being tired after a crazy day at the shop? Take the frustration out of your work by speeding up the processes that bog you down. Start a repair order based on a canned job. Check. Order parts from a menu that includes every supplier within seconds. Check. Now send all that information with photos or videos to a customer via a live chat on their phone. What? No, I'm not kidding. Check that box. Get an approval faster than ever so you don't tie up a bay for hours check. Hey, it gets even better. Once they see the summary of work they need, next time they ask you to fix one or two more items today. Boom, that bill goes up and you make more. Then get this, they pay you on their phone before they even pick up their car. This could be your life, my friend. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. 
Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. Judy, we talk about doctoring a lot in the healthcare industry. Can you imagine going... First of all, I've never seen a doctor ever that doesn't look professional in certain ways. If it's scrubs or, you know, wearing a tie when you're at the office and they know that the doctoring is a really important profession, your life, your car, your safety in our places. And I get the whole societal thing, but we always try to emulate healthcare. What's your opinion on, have you ever seen a doctor or a healthcare professional that you would say, hmm. They don't look professional and I'm going to have them give me medicine or touch me in any way. Well, you're asking the wrong person. First of all, my sister next to me is a doctor and I love her to death, but she's a slob. (laughs) Um, She doesn't dress that way ever. And it's not that. And her patients love her to death. But if you met her on the street, you would not think she's a doctor. She's very good at what she does. She knows her job. She can treat you just as good of anyone else. So with that, I've learned that it's not always what we perceive and have put on people that makes them professional. It's more the way they act. Like when Tina goes into doctor mode, she goes into a very different world. Same thing happens when um, my husband, Jeff, was an EMT for years and he did a lot of pre-hospital trauma, a lot of trauma, more than most EMS people see. And I got to watch him once because we were at a dinner when this happened and he went into a mode of total, you sort of sought out what's around you. And he was very professional. He was very, he did everything the right way. He became almost a robot doing his job, getting his things done. And he saved the person. So it's professionalism. It is not probably just the dress. It's the person and what they do and how they do it. And you get to know them. and. When I first started getting involved in business things outside my business, I joined two chambers of commerce, one chamber of commerce and another chamber of commerce. And the first chamber of commerce never did it. Everybody wore suits. The women wore jackets and good pants and the men wore ties always. Now, and then here comes Judy. I would have to go home and dress, get changed to go to a mix, even a mixer, an afterworks work mixer because everybody was in suits and ties. And so I sort of broke the water and started wearing just khakis and a polo. And after a while, I noticed there was five people in the room that way. And then after a while, two thirds of them were that way. It's what do you consider professionalism is, and I think to me, professionalism means that I treat you like I want to be treated. I want to be treated kindly, decently. When I'm at my limit where I don't understand something, I want you to share your expertise to help me understand. And that's what we do in this business so much. We we share our expertise and that people obviously can't know everything. And that starts right back at cleaning up your shop. You know, I remember when I first started in 75, I started in the business. And one of the first things I said is the tool truck guys learn really fast that you don't take those calendars into Zimmerman's because Judy will send you right back out. <laughs> it just went from there. 
you know, just cleaning up the industry, making it more friendly. If I'm going to be here, you're not going to do that to me because it's just the way it is. And I think it's an attitude. It's a profession. It's the way you act and the way you, that's how I see the professionalism. Now, do I think we can all be slobs? Nope. Nobody can be a slob. That's kind of where I see it. With professionalism, not just being appearance, it reminds me of yesterday, somebody was supposed to come out and do some brickwork on my pool deck and they were a no-show, no-call and they were a no-show, no-call this morning. So Mm. communication is big in professionalism, communicating properly with your customer. Also doing what you say you're going to do is professionalism. Is the bill, the final customer bill, what you estimated to the customer? I have never slid a bill across the counter in front of my customer and had them go, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. It's never happened. Because if the bill was going to exceed a certain amount, they were going to get a phone call and we were going to have a conversation before they come and pick up their car and see their bill. Mm -hmm. So Judy's right. It's not just about how you look. It's what you do. I love what Judy said about when her sister had to do doctoring, you knew she was a professional. And so I guess the whole societal thing, it may not necessarily be on the looks. I don't think we need to go down if we want to be an extremely professional, community-minded company that we would want to sink to the lowest of lows the way, you know, we don't want to look like we just woke up from a cardboard box on the sidewalk. To everyone's point, and there's a level of professionalism that is part of your culture, who we are, who our community looks at us, but isn't it the leader that's leading the way? Renee, I mean, the leader of the organization sets an example. Yeah, I mean, it's always the leader. I happen to also do consulting and that is the primary conversation that I have uh, with organizations all the time. They'll ask me to come in and we're talking about accountability and they want their team to be more accountable and do the job that they've been hired for. And the conversation that I have, I say, yeah, that is great. And that we absolutely need to do that. And we need to talk about you first. And that not always goes over very well. But we have to remember with all of these things that we're asking our teams to do, and it's not necessarily like, let's be real. I am not out there turning a wrench and fixing things. That, I, that is not my skill set. That is not what I do. So when I say that I need to be willing to do the things that my guys are doing, well, it may not be the exact skill that I'm doing, but in the way that I am holding myself accountable the way I hold them accountable, I would hold myself accountable to the same level. And so when we have these conversations about the things that are not working in our organizations, I always have to ask myself that question. What part of this do I own? How am I contributing to this? This isn't just because my guys don't are coming to work and not wanting to do the work that they're being asked to. It's because I'm allowing this to happen. It's more important for me to be liked than to hold them to a certain standard because I don't want to, you know, rub up against the fact that somebody might leave me or, you know, they're really good at holding us hostage. Part of that is I've got to look at what I own, how I'm contributing to this and be able to be humble and vulnerable enough to say, I didn't do that right. And let going forward, we're going to do it differently. And modeling this, especially as a woman, kind of, I feel like an outsider in this industry at times. And so I watch, currently, we don't have any other women that work for us. And so I watch how these guys interact. It's a different way that that happens. And a lot of times I even see my husband, he wants to be one of the guys, which again, I have no issues with. But when it comes to the fact that he's got to hold a hard stand with something, sometimes that gets a little bit 
mushy where it's more important for him to be liked than to say, this is the way that our standard is and this is the way it's going to have to be. And it's been part of our maturing as business owners as well to be able to stand up and take that leadership role. A lot of us call ourselves leaders. We're managers. We're managing people. We're trying to get them to do the stuff that we're doing. We are not leading them. And so we have to be really honest about what we're doing. What a great point. Wow. The thing that I've really struggled with is, you know, people say to me, oh, your family's just mechanics. But it's like, I think that probably was a case so many years ago because the dumb people did that. But and and this is just everybody saying it all the time. But for you to really be proud of what you do and for myself, it's obviously I don't work on cars for pay. I can work on cars, but I'm not working for pay. I do it myself. I'll do some some things on my own stuff, but, but I'm not doing it for pay because if I start, I'm in there. I have to do it. <laughs> But if I'm not proud of what my family does and who we are and what we've done with their community, then that's part of the professionalism. Why should anyone respect me if I'm not proud of it? Because if I'm not proud of what something I exuded and they're going to know it real fast. <laughs> so if I'm proud of the fact that we fix the vehicles, we bring them in, we'll help you find another vehicle. And then from there, we can just go. We take that further and we provide transportation and we keep a motto that we sort of came up with is keeping you and your family safely on the roads. And I know it's wrong. It's not great English, but it portrays it. In other words, we keep you and your family unit, doesn't matter who that is, on the roads and we keep them on the roads safely, as safely as we can. We can do that. And that makes such an important thing for, it's just a security. So that if you wake up at two in the morning and you get a phone call that says the wife has to drive to Arizona or the one person has to drive to Arizona, you'll feel safe doing it because if you live in mechanic in Pennsylvania, like I do, because of an emergency, you'll feel safe doing it because you know your car has been kept up. And that's a pride that a service that we offer that makes that's pride. And, and when along with that pride then comes professionalism, because if I'm proud of something, I'm going to be more professional about it. Great point, Judy. Let's talk about a uh, handbook that describes the look, what you'd like people to wear, the shirts with the collars, the pants, the entire image that exists as part of your culture and an exceptional talent technician. Let's call this person the unicorn. I mean, really an exceptional talent. That person just doesn't fit the mold in a lot of the, if you will, looks or image that you know that they will they will be standouts in a negative way if you bring them on and hire them and could potentially have the rest of the team say, oh, uh, Jim just hired this person. He's been preaching this image thing to us for so long. Would you attempt to ask the individual if they could alter their look, their professional look? In my opinion, you should have done it before you started. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't find the right person for the right seat, they're going to weed them out in the shop. That's what we say here. In the long run, it's not going to be a good idea. Your point exactly. I was basically saying you found an exceptional talent. You haven't hired that person yet, but now you have this gap to attempt to close. But to your point, Judy, Jim, your opinion of that? I think I agree with Judy that that's in the hiring process. But if I already have an employee, I have 12 employees at my main location. And I say you have to pick your battles because it's kind of like parenting. You know, there's certain things you have non-negotiables or certain things you're willing to negotiate on. It depends how important that attribute is to you. I have one employee, I have a service advisor that is just primo. He's the best service advisor I have. 
He's great with the customers. Everything he does is just top notch, but I can't get him in at eight o'clock in the morning. He's always 10 minutes late to work. Now, how much am I going to push that issue? I've taken it to the wall with him a couple of times and I just can't get him to show up 10 minutes earlier. At some point, you have to pick your battles. So I don't know. I just believe in that. I read a book. Uh, the author of the book said, if you can find somebody to do everything the way you would do it, 80% of the time, hire the person. Because if I had to fire every employee that has a problem, I'd have to probably fire everybody, including myself. So sometimes we have to settle for a little bit less than 100%. But I do have non-negotiables. I have non-negotiables on attire in the office, non-negotiables on a language policy. There's non-negotiables on how we handle the customer. There's non-negotiables on money, never taking advantage of a customer. There's certain things that I'm not willing to negotiate on, and there's certain things that I am willing to negotiate on. Thank you, Jim. I just had a comment about what Jim said. I think we all have to do what's right for our organization. And I think in that, what I would make sure that for myself, I was just consistent. Because the problem is when we start eroding our own integrity because we do something with one person and we don't do it with another person, then we lose all credibility. Wow. There's so many different places that we can go. And uh, I don't know if it was one of you guys in your talking points, but it was about, uh, you know, what would mom say or mom do or grandma say, grandma do, especially in certain situations with customers and in the image of our, would uh, grandma's stopping by the store to go to the bathroom, would she even think of going in ours? That's professionalism right there. We've done shows on, uh, is your bathroom indicative of the Ritz? And who says a little paint, a little light, maybe a, you know, a box of ceramic tile, maybe a nice new light, a hanger for a person, a jacket, <laughs> soap, real good towels. You spend 50 bucks and you just lit up a beautiful bathroom. We, we did just that, Carm, about five years ago. We did a little mini renovation of our waiting room. And my son-in-law, Trevor, he said, I'm going to redo the bathroom. And I'm looking at it saying, I don't think it looks that bad, you know, and he and my wife and my daughter were like, no, dad, it really looks bad. It's not that it's not clean. It's just outdated, you know, so they tore it all out and redid to put different wallboard on new mirror, new sink, new vanity, decorations on the wall, little smelly things there to make it smell good. It was amazing for years, even to this day, customers walk into our bathroom and come out and say, that is the nicest bathroom I've ever been in in an automotive shop. And we get compliments on that. And I go, wow, how worth it was that? I was at a conference and a shop owner gave me this little bottle of aromatherapy that they use in their place. Renee, I know you're big on making sure that the it smells good. I mean, some of the fluids we use that could permeate from the shop, they're pretty terrible. I hate to smell brake fluid and tranny fluid. Yeah. And, you know, I think we had to look at who our customer base was. And we had more of a percentage of women coming to see us than we did men. And maybe the men really liked that smell of oil. I don't know. But, you know, we kind of stepped it up a little bit with some florals and and whatnot, um, maybe some sage, just some neutral things, just so that it wasn't that. It's not that it's always offensive. I get that. But we just wanted it to be 
different. And, you know, I loved what Jim said because I actually come from the healthcare industry. I'm a registered nurse and worked in healthcare for a lot of years. And we had, um, we had a very competent regional medical center that I worked at. You wanted to come here if you had care. And the physicians, we had a physician group that left us, went and built their own hospital. And it was beautiful. It was just, you know, the top of the line, everything. But honestly, guys, you wouldn't have wanted to actually have care there. And we had this mass exodus of individuals who would go and receive care at this other hospital because it was so beautiful. And so it's not that hard in our industry to be able to deliver both competency, quality, integrity, and, you know, a bathroom that looks beautiful and a place that smells a little good. That's the great thing. It feels like it doesn't take that much to set ourselves apart from our competition. And, you know, it's like doing your bathroom. Congratulations. You know, that was great. I was just going to say that reminds me of a, a book I read years ago called Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard. Yeah. Wow. If you ever want to give a book to your service advisor, give them that book because it's all about wowing your customer. Everybody's fixing the car, right? Everybody's should be, the bill should be what they told you. But how, what are you doing to wow your customer? What are you doing to stand out? So picking up on what Renee was just talking about, oh, this hospital, it's beautiful. Everybody wants to go there. So my challenge to our panel here, and let, we're going to kind of sum this up with what I say is you fix the inside and you fix the outside. And if we sat down to say we're going to lift our level of professionalism and we've got two ways to go, we've got curb appeal, we got look, we got, you know, we've got paint, soap, light. And what people see from the outside, because some of our legacy shops, they could use a little, you know, an awning here and some paint over there and, you know, maybe a brand new door and a whole lot of sleds, weeds coming up from the cracks. Yet inside, they're extremely professional and they got great people, great training. They do wonderful work. They got a strong client base. But somehow when that person drives by, says, I know Charlie goes there, but it really doesn't look great. You know, Charlie loves this place, but it doesn't look great. So if we had a chance to start, should we attack both? Should we work on the inside? Should we work on the outside and the inside? What is your opinion of that? In today's day and age, uh, I think you need to do all of the above. You need to do all of it to stand out because a lot of people are doing a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think you're right. Whoever said, it, I think it was you, Carm. It's not hard to stand out. But if you do all of the above, if you're that service advisor that when you give the customer the keys to their car and it's little Mrs. Jones and you go around the counter and you walk her out to the car and you open a door for her and you say thank you for your business, that makes all the difference in a world. You need to do all of the above as much as you can. So I'm in favor of all of it. Okay, there's probably a lot of votes out there for that. Judy? I would say the same thing. And the other thing that I love to hear, and I know this is probably just me, but I want to hear happy. I want to hear that my people are happy to be here. I can train a lot of stuff, but I can't train you to be happy. That is something you have to decide you're going to do. And when my customers say, your staff are just always so happy. Oh man, you get me right in the heart <laughs> because that's what I want. Yes, we give bad news. Your car needs $2,000 worth of work for inspection or whatever for safety. But if we can do it, not with a smile, but if we can somehow be it happy and keep it as light as possible, it, it makes it easier to take. I feel that way anyway. 
I love that. You talk about a way to manage culture. You know, you find someone, you catch them doing something right, love them to death. You find them doing something wrong and you, you, you tweak it. Can you imagine going up to somebody who says, I didn't hear happy. I think they'd know what you mean. <laughs> exactly right. I was at the Disney Institute, uh, you know, in my former life, we were doing some big strategic planning work. And so we went to Disney and they told the story of how they came up with what they thought was an extreme principle for their people that are out in, you know, in Disneyland, Disney World. And it was this simple, look them in the eye and smile. And you could almost hear happy or see happy. And, and I think that's a great, great takeaway from here, Judy. Thank you for that. Renee, you got the last word. Inside? Outside or both? Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of like the hospital story that I told you. Once an individual had an experience there, they came back to the regional medical center. And that is what we set ourselves up for. If it's just lipstick on a pig, as they say, it's going to be pretty transparent, pretty easily and quickly that doesn't have the substance. So certainly you've got to have an organization that functions with quality and competency and all of those things. And then the beauty on the outside can take place. But ideally, you've got to have them both. You've got to have an, a place where people feel welcome. Again, I think I mentioned earlier, the majority of our customers statistically are women. They're somewhat intimidated coming into a, an automotive repair shop anyway. And if you come in and it is this rather rough environment, I have kind of a joke and no offense to anybody, but we don't have diamond plate anywhere. You know, I mean, it's not, that's not the aesthetic that we decorate with. We want it to feel more welcoming so that it isn't as intimidating even just walking through that door. And like Jim talked about, you know, the service level and opening the doors and, you know, just that extra little thing, never pushing a repair on somebody and intimidating them. They're not going to come back. You might get the sell right then, but they're not going to be this repeat customer. And so it really is about that whole customer experience. And maybe you can't afford a beautiful new building, but man, we can all be clean. That doesn't cost a lot of money. Thank you so much, Renee. I, I'm always inspired by our town halls, just about every podcast that I do. And I, I'm a voracious note taker and, and I, you just spark all of my connections inside my brain. I, it just can't stop. It's like in Technicolor. It's always going. And one of the ideas that I had from your summaries was to sit down in your weekly meetings, and hopefully you are, and if not, if they're every other week, fine, but put the challenge out to the team of those professionalism. Well, boss, I think we are pretty professional. Great. What can we do to improve it? One week is a collective effort of all of us here. We're going to find one new thing we could add to this ongoing list of what professionalism is to us and how our customers look at us and find that one thing. And if it's here happy, I didn't hear happy. That could be what an incredible theme for a week and get it up on the board and work on that. And sooner or later, the culture, uh, you know, maybe becomes alive. If the culture isn't right and it's not there and it's not strong, maybe the professionalism helps build what we're known for, what we're noted for. Are we taking the customer out? Are we shaking hands? Are we cleaning, washing? Are we putting cold water in? What are we doing? Those little tiny things that set us apart and put us in a different class that people would never expect that automotive service is anything like this. Ooh, it's like going to Saks Fifth Avenue to get my car done, right? I mean, you know, you're just treated like royalty. Maybe that's it. We treat our customers like royalty and our community like royalty. 
And what is royalty? It's something different to everyone, but at least you've defined a word, a picture word that can help elevate the professionalism of your business. Thank you for the inspiration, everyone. And hopefully this is just another one of those podcasts where you listen to learn just one thing. And if you learned anything here today, and I'm sure you did, now go get it done. Thanks for being here. Judy Zimmerman, Walter, Jim Masala, and Renee Oswald. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carm. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Thank you.